Good afternoon and welcome to the Teratex second quarter 2019 financial results conference call. A replay of this call will be available at www.smallcapvoice.com and it will be archived on the investor relations section of the Teratech website. Before we begin, please let me remind you that during the course of this conference call, Teratech's management may make forward-looking statements. These forward-looking statements are based on current expectations that are subject to a number of risks and uncertainties that may cause actual results to differ materially from expectations. These risks are outlined in the risk factor sections of our SEC filings. Any forward-looking statements should be considered in light of these factors. Please also note as a safe harbor any outlook we present is as of today. Management does not undertake any obligation to revise any forward-looking statements in the future. With me on the call today are Mr. Derek Peterson, Teratex Chairman and Chief Executive Officer, and Mr. Mike James, Chief Financial Officer. With that, I would now like to hand it over to Derek Peterson. Derek, please go ahead. Phil, thank you for the intro, and thank you, everybody, for taking the time to join us on today's fiscal second quarter 2019 call. I want to go over a few things today. Obviously, I want to go over the quarterly review. We'll go over the quarterly numbers. Mike will do a, a little bit of a deeper dive. Uh, as, as we normally do, I want to go over an operational update with both our core market, California, as well as what's uh, going on in the Nevada marketplace. And then, obviously, I want to cover the uh, progress report on our restructuring goals that we set out in the beginning of the year. And for the new investors uh, that are maybe not familiar or weren't around the beginning part of the year, I want to run over what those goals are. We had a, basically a nine-point restructuring plan, and those restructuring points consisted of increasing gross margin to a minimum of 45%. We wanted to uh, work towards meaningful EBITDA improvement over the course of the year. We wanted to get the company to a $63.3 million run rate sometime in, in the fourth quarter of 2019. Uh, we wanted to mitigate and reduce and, and exit ceasing the uh, access to the capital markets, and we essentially have one more tranche on our $40 million financing after that. The reason we're selling some of the non-core assets is so we can take our toes out of the capital markets, why the market cap's where it's at today, and utilize some of the proceeds from the non-dilutive liquidations of some non-core permits and non-core assets that the company has as well. Uh, streamlining operations and headcounts to mitigate operational burn. Uh, enhancing corporate governance, better stockholder communication as management achieves these milestones, launching a branded delivery service, and establishing pop-up retail experiences. At the end of the call, or just as we're kind of phasing into the end of the call, I'm going to go over where we're at with each one of those points, what we've done in the first half of the year, and what our anticipation is to capture on the, on the back half of the year as well. Uh, so with that, for the new shareholders and the new people that are invested in the company, we're implementing a strategy to reduce the gap between the company's true value and the market cap that it trades on the public markets. We're obviously trading at, call it, I don't know, a $40, $45 million market cap, depending on the day. And I want to, I talked about this on some prior calls, but one of the biggest concerns that we had as operators is accessing the capital markets when we're trading below our book value. Uh, we feel the liquidation value of the company is well over $100 million just off the permits we have in hand, and I would say far in excess of that And if we look at uh, some of the peers as they trade on the marketplace. So there's a big dislocation, and one of the reasons we wanted to put this operational plan together was to be able to, A, correct that, and B, start messaging out the market. The company's in a healthier spot, and we're well capitalized and are, are going to mitigate and reduce the amount of times we're collecting capital through the, the capital markets and ultimately diluting shareholders. So we're trying to move in an opposite direction by increasing cash flow coming out of the retail stores coupled with the liquidation of some of these non-core assets as well. Um, we're going to talk about a little bit more about what some of these non-core assets are as we kind of go through some of the operational updates as well. Our whole goal at the end of the day is to create a healthier and leaner business with efficient operations and scale from there. 
we've made material progress, and I'll go through each one of those nine bullet points towards the end of the call and, and let, again, let you know what we've made from a progression standpoint as far as that was concerned. So with that, why don't we jump into the quarterly results. Revenue was approximately $10.4 million compared to approximately $8.7 million for the second quarter of June 30th, 2018. That was about a 19% increase compared with $7.4 million in the first quarter of 2019. So we're trending top-line revenue in the right direction. But again, our biggest goal wasn't increasing top-line revenue as it was managing gross margin and EBITDA performance and improvement as well. The increase on top-line revenue is primarily due to increased cannabis revenues to our dispensaries as well as increasing over prior years in the development of cultivation and production now that our cultivation, manufacturing, and production is beginning to come back online. In addition, we've seen significant improvement in gross margins. Gross margin for the second quarter was approximately 47.4% compared to 42% for the second quarter ended June 30th, 2018. In addition to that, we were able to mitigate the losses at the company's level. Net loss was $10.14 million for the quarter, or $0.10 cents a share for the three months ended June 30th, 2019. That was compared against a net loss of $9.97 million, or $0.15 cents a share for the three months ended June 30th, 2018. Results are trending in the right direction. Operational updates. Let's start off with uh, California, again, our core market, and we'll discuss a little bit about Nevada as, uh, as we go along. So starting with California, all of TerraTech's operating California facilities, except for the West Grand Avenue cultivation, which is the new cultivation that we're just opening up, uh, which is still pending, were issued provisional licenses for the state of California. These licenses are valid for one year. They require metric compliance. The issuance of these licenses ensure that operations are going to be able to continue in a lawful and uninterrupted manner for the next 12 months. We're proud to be using the metric software system to record inventory, track, and traceability. System advances the state of California's objective to promote regulated and safe, conscientious cannabis market. And we're starting to see that market get a hold and start to get some efficiencies. We're starting to see the things that we wanted to see in the California marketplace, which is a healthy distribution platform uh, coupled with enforcement on the black market. And we've seen the governor take what I think is the beginning stages of a pretty aggressive action with mitigating and, and putting a cap and lid in, 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 on, the, on the black market in multiple municipalities throughout the state. Um, coupled with that, West Grand getting a little bit more granular, which is the cultivation we were just discussed. We're, we're actually cultivating in right now. That renovated facility, which we shut down for the majority of last year, featured an upgraded power capacity, allows for more output and a larger vegetation room to support cultivation of a greater variety of cannabis strains. We anticipate this being fully operational upon the receipt of our uh, approval from the state. This will enable us to ramp production of our IBXX Premium Wholesale Cannabis brand in California. And as a reminder to everybody, for those investors that are new to the company, we basically, for the entire year last year, as we had to rebuild these facilities to conform with new regulation, we were out of the cultivation and wholesale market in addition to the, uh, the retail market. So we were surviving as a, a whole, basically a whole uh, retail uh, organization last year, and we didn't have any manufacturing or cultivation to add to that. This year, it's beginning to come back online. The first facility that we planted was the West Grand. Hagenberger will be on the backbone of that, and we're starting to see some of the revenue associated with both cultivation and manufacturing in the Nevada and California marketplace, which is great. Uh, we've established our pop-up retail experiences, completed with plans to open a flagship store in our county, which will reflect our latest marketing, product assortment, visual merchandising enhancements. We've uh, we posted several dinner parties, senior outreach programs, 
all of that outreach branding that we've uh, we fostered in, in both the Orange County, LA market, Northern California markets has really done a great job of penetrating our brand and mainstreaming the ideology behind the Bloom concept. It's increased foot traffic to our retail stores, and obviously, it's been a great addition to uh, to hosting and, and, and pushing forward revenue as it's associated with our delivery service as well. So. We're pleased to announce it. If you want to, if you want to look at uh, our YouTube channels, if you want to look at our social media channels, you can get a feel for some of what these uh, what these parties, what these dinner parties and senior outreach programs look like. But again, they're a great opportunity to socialize the products with consumers, to socialize the brand with consumers, and build that consumer adherence that we're that we're looking for as well. Um, Bloom San Leandro, that's the retail store a little bit south of Oakland, a little bit north of San Jose. We opened that store, as most of you know, in January this year, selling only medical cannabis. The, the city was uh, fast-tracked adult use. They changed over, I want to say it was in early May. We, be, we began uh, commencing adult use sales, and we saw a nice hockey stick upwards and top-line revenue, as well as store traffic, which was great. The city approved uh, three retail facilities. However, our company is the first retail store open. Uh, we don't know when competition's coming to the marketplace there, but I don't think anybody's opening up anytime soon, which has given us a great first mover advantage in that vacuum just south of Oakland that, uh, that we're able to occupy. We've seen strong sales growth since the start of adult use, and that, uh, that revenue was a great driver to get where we were from an increased revenue for this quarter. But again, we didn't even have a full quarter for San Leandro's operations as adult use really kicked in the first part of May, and it took a couple weeks to ramp up from there. Really excited about the addition for Q3 as sales continue to ramp up. We also capture a full quarter of San Leandro's uh, retail sales as well. Let's uh, jump down to Santa Ana for a moment. We have one operational dispensary down there. We have two additional retail permits. Dyer, uh, obviously being the largest, most uh, focal footprint. Uh, this location is on a main frontage freeway. We, I think it's personally the best location in all of Southern California. Uh, significant amount of parking. It's on uh, a several acre, acre parcel. The building itself is 55,000 square feet. The retail facility is going to occupy about 5,000 square feet or so. And most importantly, we just received building permits and we're breaking ground finally after spending a tremendous amount of time uh, working in both local municipality as well as at the state level to get the approvals we needed in architectural and engineering di diagrams. But we are breaking ground on Monday. We anticipate that facility to be done prior to the end of the year, and we will obviously inform investors as uh, we, we maintain progress out of that environment. Our core dispensary that's currently open is seeing increased patient accounts and in, in, in seeing increased uh, ticket baskets associated with that customer traffic as well. The third permit associated with the Carnegie Building is one of those non-core assets that we're looking to divest of. We're pretty excited about the appetite that's been out there so far. I'm going to discuss what some of the economics look like around those transactions at the tail end of the call, coupled with uh, some ideas of what we think we're ultimately going to recoup from an asset or a capital standpoint from the liquidation of those non-core assets as well. Uh, in addition to that, Santa Ana, we launched our branded delivery service. We've had a nice ramp out of the gate there, worked out all the kinks. The software backbone seems to be working seamlessly at this juncture. And now we're confident, uh, I think, with the point of moving that delivery service up to both San Leandro and the Oakland marketplace, and then obviously looking to expand it from there. So great reception in Orange County, good traffic out of the gate. We're increasing marketing efforts and socializing uh, the Bloom Delivery brand in that core market, uh, and, uh, as well as, again, going to be putting an increased effort on pushing that agenda up to the Northern California marketplace as well. Las Vegas, jumping over to Nevada for a little bit. Uh, we had that four-street building. We worked very diligently to get a cannabis permit at that location. 
the gaming corridor was uh, pretty against it at the end of the day. And so rather than fighting that behemoth, we decided to pivot a little bit. We're converting that retail location uh, over to a CBD-only store. That location, if you want to look it up on Google Maps, is 121 North 4th Street. It's about as close as we can get to the Fremont Street experience. It's just uh, adjacent to the White Castle Burger. Unbelievable amount of foot traffic in that area. For those of you that don't uh, know uh, uh, downtown uh, Las Vegas, Fremont Street Experience sees about 14 million annual visitors every year, and so we think it's not only a great opportunity to socialize the Bloom brand, but we're going to be able to move a significant amount of product around there. But it's also a great opportunity for swag, T-shirts, hats, sweatshirts, hoodies, novelty items that people like to uh, consume when, uh, when they, when they uh, visit uh, the downtown area. So we're excited about opening that up. We're in the design phase. It's going to be reflective of the new Bloom store concept, which you can see on our Facebook page. That'll be the dire location that we're opening. This facility will look very similar to that, obviously a little bit smaller, but servicing only CBD products both beauty, wellness products, ingestibles, topicals, et cetera, and so forth. We're going to continue to put out some PR around that as we get closer to breaking ground construction and uh, obviously opening as well. Uh, jumping a little bit north to Reno, the Nevada Department of Taxation approved our agreement last quarter to acquire the remainder interest in Bloom Reno Dispensary. We had a 50-50 partnership there. We had some litigation that we were able to wrap up by buying the additional 50% from our partner. That 50% uh, has been transferred over to Terratech, so we own, now own 100% of that facility uh, up in the Reno area. That store has been very productive for us in, as well, and we're excited about the future uh, in, uh, in the Reno marketplace as well. Uh, cultivation and extraction in the Reno-Washaw County area, full bore as well. We're now starting to see some upticks as we pull product down. We're getting better yields than expected out of our LED 30,000 square foot cultivation facility, and now we're starting to get some traction on the production of oils. Uh, in the wholesale marketplace as well. For those of you that don't know, uh, Nevada in general issued uh, another 60-plus retail permits. There's some litigation around those permits, but ultimately there's going to be an, a significant increase in retail stores uh, over the next few years in the Nevada marketplace, which makes the wholesale activity out of the cultivation extraction even more attractive. So we're excited about the increased retail footprint opportunities that those would potentially afford to our manufacturing and cultivation arms in the Nevada marketplace as well. Um, the only other update from an operational standpoint, uh, for those of you that know, we made a $5 million investment into a company called HydroFarm. HydroFarm's been around for decades. They're one of the only, I think they're the only independent uh, hydroponic distributor company left out. Their sunlight supply was bought by Scott's miracle Grow. HydroFarm uh, was taken over by Bill Toller, who was the turnaround specialist at Hostess. Uh, that company, we invested $5 million of a $55 million raise. Uh, we're, we own two million shares and another million options. Uh, at the end of the day, we, uh, we think the company is likely going to be moving and trending towards the public markets at the end of this year. Uh, we're looking forward to some updates coming out of that company, but we think there's going to be a significant upside associated with that investment and a whole other opportunity for non-dilutive capital coming into the company uh, as well. And so we'll keep everybody posted as that company makes updates and announcements, and we're in a position to be able to monetize that investment that we made late last year as well. So with that, um, that was the operational update. Let's jump over into the report card, essentially. So I went over at the beginning of the call the nine points that we were focused on. So let's run through those. I would like to discuss a little bit about the traction that we're making, where we need to do some more work, what we're focusing on from today go forward, and uh, some of the trends that are taking place at the retail level, most importantly. So starting off with what we think is the most important one, because the integrity of the, uh, the, our financials and our P&L is obviously heavily dependent not only on 
top line revenue growth, but most importantly, what are we left over with from an operational standpoint after gross margins? So uh, gross margins, we were trying to hit a number of 45%. We've made significant improvement in gross margins over the last couple years. Uh, we were in very low double digits not too long ago, and now, again, we had a goal and objective to get to 45%. We blew that out of the water. We're already at four, a little over 47%, so now we're pushing even harder to get north of 50 So we're very happy with the progress that we've made there. We've achieved the goal that we've promised our shareholders that we were intending to make already, and we're going to increase and hopefully improve that trend coming into Q3 and Q4 2019. Meaningful EBITDA improvement. So we've made some significant EBITDA improvement already in the first half of the year, but with the cultivation coming online, extraction coming back online, coupled with um, some additional retail presence with Dyer, et cetera, and so forth, we think we're going to see even more significant EBITDA improvement. And one of the promises we made to our shareholder base ultimately was we're going to sell some of these non-core assets instead of going to the capital markets, use that capital to buy more accretive revenue. So whatever revenue we're ultimately going to lose from the sale of these non-core assets, we're ultimately going to buy back what we hope is a lot more revenue. So if I have something in the portfolio that's yielding us, let's say, $2, and I can sell it for $10, and I can go back and buy something for $7 that's yielding us 3 or 4 those are the types of accretive transaction arbitrage opportunities that exist out there in the marketplace. That's ultimately going to be one of the uses of that non-dilutive capital on top of maintaining a significant capital reserve so that we can extend that ability to not have to continue to go back and forth to the capital markets to fund growth and, and operations. So we're happy with the EBITDA performance that we've made, but we've got a lot more work to be doing on the back half to get to where we want to be to fulfill the promise we made to shareholders. Uh, achieving a 63.3 million revenue run rate sometime within Q4 2019. Uh, we're run rating at well over 40 million at this juncture, so we're on our way to that number in the onset of the additional cultivation plus Dyer and some of the other activities that we have coming online plus increasing same store sales because we're putting a tremendous amount of effort into getting as much revenue and as much cash flow out of each one of our retail stores as absolutely possible. We're trending in the right direction on that number and we're excited about the progress that we've made year to date as far as revenue growth has been concerned as well. Ceasing accessing the capital markets by the end of the first half of 2019 to fund CapEx and OpEx. We have one final tranche to take of the $40 million financing we did you know, well over a year ago. Once that tranche is done, uh, sometime in the next month or so, we have asset capital coming in, $21 million coming in from the sale of two of the retail stores in the Nevada marketplace. Management goal is somewhere between 45 to $55 million in net proceeds coming from the sale of non-dilutive asset, non assets or non-core assets, I should say. We feel very comfortable with that target, not including whatever proceeds we receive out of the hydro farm uh, sale, depending on you know, what kind of performance that has in the public marketplace. So coming into the end of the year, we should be in a phenomenal position as far as cash reserves uh, are going at, because of the sale of non-core assets coupled with the liquidity coming out of that investment. And that will really put us in a position to buy that revenue that we need to replace at the company's level but have a tremendous amount of capital for growth Again, without having to go back and access those capital markets. So in addition to that, streamlining operations and headcount to mitigate operational burn. One of the reasons we've seen EBITDA performance is we've done a good job of mitigating a lot of our operational burn. We've done a great job at streamlining operations uh, internally as well. And so we're very pleased with the progress that we made in the first half of the year. And we think the second half of the year we're going to have a tremendous amount of more upside as far as that's concerned as well. Enhancing corporate governance. 
Um, as many of you may or may not know, we do have the audit committees, the comp committees. We have all the formalized corporate governance committees set up. But most importantly, uh, this year we passed SOX compliance, Sarbanes-Oxley. I don't know of any other MSO that's SOX compliant out there. Uh, to date, and that's obviously necessary for potential future uplistings to exchanges, and we're excited about being in a position where we're SOX compliant at this juncture for a small company. That was a huge feat for us, and we're excited to be able to have that as a showcase for our corporate governance, governance efforts. Uh, launching a branded delivery service, as I said, everybody, we're, uh, we're, we've got great results out of the Southern California marketplace. We're seeing growth in delivery day over day, week over week. We're putting a tremendous amount of energy into marketing uh, that footprint down here, especially in California because Santa Ana is the only licensed jurisdiction, and there's a tremendous amount of uh, population density in the surrounding areas that's just not covered by any brick-and-mortar re retail. So there's a great opportunity for delivery in Southern California. But now that we have the model built, the backbone built, the software built, we're going to now expand that model up to the San Leandro marketplaces and the Oakland marketplaces. We'll continue to give updates to our shareholders on the dates, of when we're opening those, uh, those uh, operations up. We're probably going to start with Oakland, work back down south to San Leandro, and we're excited about penetrating the highly dense Bay Area market with a good delivery service as well. Uh, establish a pop-up retail experience, as I said earlier on the call. We've had several of those over the course of the year. Our goal and objective is to continue to do as much outreach as possible. We can't get the brand penetration that we want and are expect by expecting people to just show up at our door. So this is a new industry. There's still a lot of people that don't understand what you know, retail dispensaries are. There's still a lot of people that have anxiety over you know, how to talk to a bud tender, what products to order, et cetera, and so forth. So the community outreach that we do through these pop-up experiences, again, been a great opportunity for us to socialize the product and introduce the products to, do, to new market segments as well. Uh, I'd now like at this juncture to turn the call over to our CFO, Mike James. Mike's going to do a deeper dive on the financials. I'll come back, finish up the call with some uh, additional points and then we'll uh, open it up for some questions that we had come in earlier as well. With that, Mike, uh, on to you. Thank you, Derek. Good afternoon, everyone. I will now provide you with a summary of the second quarter 2019 financial results. For more detailed results, please refer to the press release that we issued earlier today, which is posted on our website, along with the Form 10-Q, which has been filed with the Securities and Exchange Commission. In addition, please note that we compile our financials under U.S. GAAP, including non-operating expenses. For the second quarter ended June 30th, 2019, we generated revenues of $10.4 million compared to approximately $8.7 million for the second quarter ended June 30th, 2018, an increase of approximately $1.6 million, or 19%. Dispensary year-over-year -year growth was $950,000, or 14% increase, due to revenues from our new store in San Leandro, as well as improvements of our store operational standards, enhanced product assortment, increased customer traffic, and higher average sale amounts. Also driving the increase is the ramp of IBEX cultivation and production operations, which accounted for $580,000 of the increase. The herbs and product segment increased by $120,000 year over year. Our gross profit for the second quarter ended June 30, 2019, was approximately $4.9 million, compared to a gross profit of approximately $3.7 million for the second quarter ended June 30, 2018, an increase of approximately $1.2 million. Our gross margin percentage for the second quarter ended June 30, 2019, was approximately 47.4%, compared to approximately 42.1% for the second quarter ended June 30, 2018. 
the increase in gross margin was due to an increase of higher margin private labor sales, lower cost of goods sold from vendor negotiations, and price optimization of top selling items. Selling general and administrative expenses for the second quarter end of June 30th, 2019 were approximately $12.05 million compared to approximately $9.86 million for the three months ended June 30th, 2018, an increase of $2.19 million, or 22.2%. The increase was due to a $770,000 increase in depreciation expense, a $540,000 increase in amortization expense, a $470,000 increase in stock options related to employee bonuses, and a $430,000 increase in marketing and advertising expense. The company reported a gain on interest in joint venture of $350,000 for the period ended June 30th, 2019, due to the measurement period adjustment recorded for the consolidation of the New Leaf Sparks Cultivation LLC and New Leaf Reno Production LLC joint ventures. We realized the net loss attributable to Terratech of approximately $10.14 million, or $0.10 cents per share, for the three months ended June 30th, 2019, compared to a net loss of $9.97 million, or $0.15 cents per share, for the three months ended June 30th, 2018. Now turning to the balance sheet. On June 30th, 2019, the cash balance was $1.92 million versus $7.19 million as of December 31st, 2018. The company had no short-term debt. Long-term liabilities were $25.47 million as of June 30, 2019, compared with $18.31 million as of December 31, 2018. Stockholders' equity for the period ended June 30, 2019, amounted to approximately $110.14 million, an increase of approximately $15.3 million, compared to approximately $94.9 million as of December 31, 2018. Now I'd like to turn the call back over to Phil for the question and answer session. Thanks, Mike. Uh, Derek, first question. How is the delivery service in Orange County coming along, and do you plan to look into delivery into Northern California? Hey, Phil, thanks. Yeah, I think we just covered that for the most part. But, yeah, we're, we're, we're thrilled with the reception out of the gate in Southern California. Um, so we're going to continue our marketing efforts and outreach efforts here. We've got, you know, some great planning to, to reach out to both the retirement communities and all jurisdictions because there's a lot of people that just don't want to travel a half an hour back and forth to a retail dispensary that's not, you know, in their local town. And because of the scarcity of brick and mortar here, again, it's a great opportunity. So we're pleased. The uh, software has been working. The SOPs that we put together, we tweaked and finalized. So we're, we're in a great spot as far as delivery is concerned. And, we're, again, we're at that point now where we we're going to be releasing some updates in the not-too-distant future about migrating the delivery bottle, both up to Oakland and uh, San Leandro to cover the NorCal markets as well. Great. Uh, now that you've acquired the remaining interest in Bloom Reno, do you still plan on keeping that asset, even though you mentioned California being your main focus? Yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, what I don't want to do is speculate on any of the particular assets other than the ones that we've outlined. I mean, we're, listen, we're, we're open to offers on everything because there's a great opportunity for creative repositioning of assets in, in a majority of other markets. So 
put it to you like this. If I can, again, if I can sell something for $10 that's yielding me two and buy something else for seven that's yielding me three or four, that's a transaction that I'll take, right? Because that improves the balance sheet, improves our P&L over time, and those are the kind of accretive arbitrage transactions that we're looking for. So we're looking at less about, you know, what, what assets do we want to move out of, what assets do we, you know, want to migrate away from, but more of is there an accretive opportunity to migrate what that P&L looks like to a healthier P&L at the end of the day. Because what we're trying to do, again, is increase top-line revenue, increase gross margin, and EBITDA performance, focusing on both top-line and bottom-line. So we're going to get that through organic operations. But in addition to that, we're also going to have the ability to, to harness some improvements there through, again, arbitrage of, of, of you know, rebalancing the balance sheet at the end of the day. So we're looking at everything on the balance sheet for better arbitrage opportunities. But... Um, we will, again, you know, increase our shareholder communication as we enter into transactions. But I'll go back to what I said earlier. You know, the company anticipates out of the non-core assets that we hope to migrate out of, of getting somewhere between 45 and 55 million. We've inked up about 21 million already. So we're going to be in a position regardless to have a tremendous amount of cash and liquidity at the company's disposal coming into the end of the year for future growth. Uh, and obviously putting us in a position where we can kind of migrate out of the capital markets and not have to continue to issue shares, especially these depressed levels, when we think we're trading far below what our true uh, book value is at the end of the day. And so we're looking at things both from a granular level, but also uh, from a macro level as well. Next question. Uh, does the company have plans to continue to access the capital markets? Yeah, that ties into what I just said. So we have one final tranche off the $40 million financing that we put together. Again, it was well over a year ago. And so once that final tranche is done, we'll close that up. And we don't see having to come back to the capital markets after that unless there's, you know, some major acquisition uh, that we think makes economic sense. But, we, again, we're going to be in a position with the capital coming out of it. And so in addition to, you know, the cash we have on hand, the $21 million that we inked, we think, again, we're going to be able to put 45 to $55 million in cash on the, in, in the bank. But that doesn't even count whatever we receive out of the HydroFarm transaction. Again, we put five into that, and obviously that investment was made with the ideology and the intent of taking something far larger than five out of the back end of that. And so if that thing, you know, works in any way, shape, or form, you know, consistent with what the Green Lane IPO look like, that should be a very creative transaction for the company. Uh, and that doesn't include, again, we've got, you know, $10, $11 million in real estate equity on top of that. So the company, again, with the streamlined operations, the EBITDA and cash flow that's being kicked off at a retail level, the increased uh, uh, gross revenue that the company is going to be receiving by all these new assets coming online, plus the sale of the non-core assets, this is the leanest the company has ever been. And we've seen that by the increased gross margins and the reduction of the loss per share for this quarter. And again, we expect for that trend to improve um, in the coming quarters. And I know I, I went a little bit deeper into that, that question, but I just want to make sure everybody understands, you know, our ideology is to make sure at this market cap, we don't have to go back to the capital market. So one more tranche and a tremendous amount of liquidity at the company's disposal coming into year end between the sale of non-core assets, the hydro farm, uh, investment coupled with the, the capital that we have sitting passive in real estate as well. So we should be in a tremendous position to execute on an even more uh, kind of intense growth profile coming into the end of the year. This year was about refooting ourselves, right? This year was about getting our footing back underneath us after a pretty challenging 2018. And again, we're trending in the right direction. We've got more work to do. But coming into 2020, we're going to be in a significantly intense capital position to be able to affect additional growth opportunities that we see. And we see a tremendous amount of opportunities and not only continuing to do what we have been doing, but a 
tremendous amount of opportunities as well as in the CBD space. So not only are we launching that CBD-only store in the Nevada marketplace, but the company's seeing a tremendous amount of opportunities, especially as they tie into our retail partnership on the Edible Garden division. Uh, we just got two extra distribution facilities through um, Walmart, for example. And so we've got a great relationship with a tremendous amount of retail doors, and we want to start showcasing some of the CBD products as well. And so we think there's an opportunity in the CBD realm to get additional upside revenue and, and, and opportunities for the company as well. So, um, yeah, that's where we stand. We think we're going to be in a very healthy capital position coming into the end of the year. So we've got the one final tranche. Post-final tranche, we don't see a necessity to have to dip back into the capital markets for the foreseeable future. Next question. Uh, given the number of retail permits that are being issued in Nevada, how is the expansion of wholesale coming along there? Uh, yeah, across the board, we're getting great traction in the wholesale environment in California. Um, we're getting great traction in the wholesale environment in the Nevada marketplace. Our partners, New Leaf, uh, at the cultivation facility, we're kicking out some unbelievable product there. Um, there's, there's a few great brands in the Nevada marketplace. There's a lot of mediocre cannabis at the end of the day, but uh, our stuff coming out of the LED cultivation facilities is top-notch. So we're getting great penetration with our flower there. We're getting uh, great penetration with the oils that we're producing out of the manufacturing facility. Uh, and we're just starting to take down our first products out of our West Grand facility, and we're having expanded footprints there as well. But coupled with that, we have the Hagenberger cultivation that should be coming in line in the not-too-distant future that will contribute not only to top-line revenue, but gross margin enhancement coupled with EBITDA improvement as well. So great traction on the cultivation front, and we're excited about uh, announcing the opening of the uh, Hagenberger location in the not-too-distant future as well. Last question, then. Uh, you recently announced a CBD store opening in Las Vegas. Do you have a time frame for the opening, and do you plan on opening additional CBD stores in Nevada and California? Our, our goal is to obviously have that open by the end of the year. I mean, that one's a little bit easier to open. It's not fraught with all the regulatory hurdles that opening a cannabis dispensary are. But, again, it still has a significant amount of, uh, of you know, hurdles to overcome in terms of, you know, building permits and local approvals and that type of thing. So, you know, opening up retail, it's just, it's just tough, right, I mean, especially when you're doing tenant improvements. So as much as we would like to have a firm forecast, a lot of it's just dependent on what the local municipalities and how you do and how quickly they move through the approval process and building permits. But we think we'll have the ability to get that open by the end of the year. As far as expanding that model to other markets, uh, is a lot of that's going to depend on the performance that we see out of there. So if we get the performance that we think we want, there's a lot of other key markets that we're looking at right now to open up CBD-only stores and not only in Southern California, L.A., and Northern California and some premier locations as well. But this is going to be our litmus test in our model for how a creative, you know, a retail store is just servicing CBD products. All things are pointing towards it's going to be successful, but, you know, markets changed and, and that type of thing. So we want to get you to use this as a, a great template and, again, a litmus test for expanding that footprint. The beauty of that is if this works the way we think it's going to work, we'll have the ability to put additional stores in additional locations without, again, the same regulatory hurdles and economics uh, that we experience on the, uh, the the cannabis side of the equation as well. So we'll keep people posted on that. And then in addition to that, again, you know, we're, we're looking at some very low-hanging fruit CBD opportunities for the company that we hope to be able to announce in the not-too distant future as well, Phil. Okay. Um, I'll flip it back to you for your closing remarks. 
again, everybody, with that being said, we're pleased to report that many of the initiatives that we outlined earlier have been accomplished due to the high level of execution of our team members. We're pleased with the start of the year and expect the results to progressively improve throughout Q3 and Q4. We're on track for our 63.3 million run rate in Q4 2019 that will be driven by our core business growth improvement as well as our new revenue generators that we've outlined in the call. We remain committed to enhanced corporate governance and communication. We've established better disciplines, put together special committees to ensure proper governance over all matters and all transactions. We're increasing our stockholder and shareholder communication to have increased transparency as we go through these changes. Uh, and with that, I'd like to thank all the shareholders, our new shareholders that have just uh, becoming acclimated and familiar to the company. I'd like to thank you, Phil and Stuart, for helping put the call together today. But most importantly, this is a tremendously challenging company to operate for all the operators in our space that are dealing without banking and have to rely on audited financials. It is a very challenging process to go through quarter after quarter, year after year, and then to maintain SOX compliant in that environment is even more challenging. So with that, I'd like to thank our auditing team that on a consistent and continual basis works overtime to make sure that we can meet all these reports, these accelerated filing standards in a timely and efficient manner. So. Again, everybody, we're thrilled with the quarter. It's not where we want to be. We've got a lot more work to do, but this is trending in the right direction. We're in a really good spot right now. We think we're going to be in a great spot coming into the end of the year, not only from a liquidity standpoint, but from a top-line revenue standpoint. And again, as time goes on over the coming weeks and coming months, we're going to continue to update shareholders and as we progress through that nine-point restructuring plan, coupled with the opening of the new facilities, and again, coupled with as some additional business opportunities in the CD, CBD realm that we're excited to talk to you about as well. So with that, thank you again. There will be, be a printed transcript of this that will be out in the not-too-distant future and a recording as well. So thank you again, everybody, for taking the time. We'll talk to you soon. Take care.